There we go. Everyone, we're back again for another episode of Friday Night Counter with Sacra in episode 61. And uh, it was a good weekend in the Premier League. We, we got to witness quite a good, uh, good couple of games, a couple of dubious decisions, but it was just one of those things where it's just another weekend in the Premier League, I'd imagine. Uh, we're joined by Salem as always. So Salem, thanks for coming back on the podcast. How are we doing this week? You all okay? Yeah, good, thanks. Early start to the week. We're just on Tuesday and yeah, uh, it's been good so far and hopefully another productive week. Yeah, we always needed a productive week when they're going forward as well, especially when we're coming into this new year as well. And it's, it feels like it's been January forever as well. We're still in January at the time of recording. So it'll be good to um, get some more stuff done over the week um, going forward as well. First of all, Salem, how did Aston Villa do against Everton? Because I saw um, you, you beat them at Goodison Park. I saw that it was a good result for Steven Gerrard and he's quite happy walking off. But um, from watching the game, how did you find Everton... Um, trying to counter this, this Aston Villa side. Were they strong enough? They, they seem to have a lot of dominance in the game, possession-wise. Yeah, um, I thought the first half, we were obviously the better team. I don't even think Everton had a shot and then got into the second. And obviously, we got the goal, Buendia, 5'7", 5'8", being you know, probably our best aerial threat. Um, it was the same sort of set-piece routine that we tried at United, which De Gea saved from close range in the first half. Yep. I don't remember but yeah, with Luca Dean there, the set piece has obviously been improved. I think um, second half, to be honest, once they brought Allen on, uh, they sort of, for Gomez, Andre Gomez, they completely chained the midfield around and they were starting to get more of the ball and the fans were starting to back them. And, you know, they were in the ascendancy. And I think normally we would have conceded a goal or maybe two because we've been poor from defending set pieces. I mean, it's probably been a weak spot on Villa for like maybe the last three years at least. So I think it was nice to see where, you know, we were able to hold on at 1-0, something that was a massive problem in 2021, holding on to Leeds. So the fact is that we held on, I think they had like 15, 16 shots and, you know, we, we just dealt with everything comfortably. It was quite nervous watching as a fan because I feel like, I think Coutinho should have come off a bit earlier because he couldn't last sort of match fitness wise. And I think if we had a bit more sort of pace on the bench, it would have like relieved the burden if we had like somebody like Bailey or Trore or somebody like that to come on. Uh, it would have sort of eased it up up top because there just wasn't any out ball and we were struggling to get out. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking as well because obviously you got rid of Al Ghazi who went to Everton so he was illegible to play in the game anyway. It was just the yeah. fact that um, you don't want to keep relying on centre midfielder after centre midfielder after centre midfielder and it's just you want to make sure you've got a bit of experience in, in your wingers going forward as well for the rest of the season because like you said, Aston Villa were prone to slipping up leads last season um, and the season before that under Dean Smith so hopefully that's something that Steven Gerrard can eradicate in his Aston Villa side for the rest of the season as well, which will be pretty good. Um, but who really stood out for you in that game um, against Everton for Aston Villa? Was there anyone who stuck out in particular? I think a lot of the players had a really good game, but Matty Cash obviously was the one that got man of the match. But yeah, I mean, probably be him, to be honest. But yeah, like I was saying, it, it was just nice to see the team, you know, like cope and deal with everything that was thrown at them and you know, great performance from everyone. Yeah, 100%. And for Man United fans and for someone like me, well, I think Arif went to the game. Yeah, Arif went to the game on, on Saturday, so that was good for him to go and watch. Um, Man United play against West Ham United, and that was a proper six points in terms of the top four title race as well. So uh, me following it from from what I could do, um, obviously at 3 o'clock kickoff, I couldn't watch the game. Just have to follow it through radio and through like journalistic um, opinions and stuff like that. So... It was a game that apparently we controlled quite well. And from the highlights of matches day in Sky Sports, we had our chances. We just didn't get through properly in that final third as well. Um, yeah. It's one of those things that I think when Tony Marshall came on, um, 
he actually just helped compose that that forward line a bit when him and Cavani and Rashford came on as well. It's a bit easier for him to actually um, go forward. And obviously, he's, he's now in Sevilla for a medical. So it looks like he's going to be gone for the rest of the season. So it looks like Elanga is going to be brought through playing more games and Martial will be able to have his his dream move away from Manchester United. But um, realistically speaking, uh, Ralph Ragnick has kind of... Um, what I enjoy about Ralph Ragnick so far is the fact that he's only lost the one game, but he's already eradicated a lot of these decisions that he's made. So the 4-2-2-2 that he was almost sworn against having um, such an impact with his with his Schalke team and his Leipzig team, he's swapped that straight away for a 4-3-3 and has reversed the V that we had in midfield under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with the two yeah. holding midfielders and the one attacking midfielder. And I think yeah. now when you've got just the one holding midfielder in McTominay, and you've got Fred and uh, Bruno Fernandes pressing forward, helping the striker press down from the front really early. I think it works really well for us. And I think it's something that we could actually positively benefit from in the Champions League and hopefully further down in the FA Cup as well, because it looks like um, Fred had a lot more freedom to play. He wasn't relied upon in terms of, you know, when um, you're playing out from the back and you rely upon a, like a midfielder, like a McGinn or a Declan Rice or someone like that to play out from the back to their number six. With Fred, he can't yeah. do that. He'll lose the ball or he'll just have um, himself um, dispossessed of, of possession as well. And it's cost us a, a few points and um, a couple of uh, cup eliminations previously as well, which hasn't been the best thing, but that's how it's kind of been really. Um, but no, I prefer Fred further up the field. He may not be a goal for it, but it's better for our pressing game that we have um, currently at the moment as well. And I, I have to say, I'm very happy for Marcus Rashford to get a goal. A couple of weeks ago, we were kind of, kind of questioning um, why he hadn't scored since October, what is up with him, missing all of these chances here, there and everywhere. I think this little international break that we have, it'll work, it'll work in his favour. I think it'll be good to see how he comes back from this and hopefully he delivers um, some more goals and assists coming down the line as well, especially in a World Cup year. You don't want to be slipping out of contention in a World Cup year as well. Ah, but no, someone I wanted to speak to you, um, to you about, Salim, personally, was uh, Mohamed Salisu. So did you watch the Man City versus Southampton game on Saturday night? No, I missed it, to be fair. Ah, okay. So basically, it's a Man City attack against a Southampton team who, who took the lead quite early. I think it was yeah, because... I understand what happened in the game at Southampton when one nil up and sort of City equalised, but I, I don't have any sort of detail of the game in that sense. I just, just know the score and what happened and that was it. It was, it was kind of a mature performance from Southampton, from Ralph Hasenhutl's team. It was more... They kept control of the ball. They kept it more on the floor. And they, they almost tried to beat City at their own game because it wasn't just have the ball lump it off the field, wait for another um, attack to come by like a lot of these teams are doing. They, they played up from the back properly. They they did pretty well in, in their wing play as well, always trying to take on their fullback and take on their man. And always trying to... Um, they were going in for proper second balls and everything. And it's quite nice to see a Southampton side do that this season as well. I mean, they tend to do that anyway, but against a big team, they actually did that very well which is pretty good. And I just wanted to shout out Mohamed Salisu. Um, he was a player who could have gone to the African Cup of Nations with Ghana, um, but he decided otherwise and he stayed with Southampton uh, in the Premier League as well. And ever since uh, Vestergaard left last season, or the beginning of this season, I should say, uh, for Leicester, he's been a, he's been a stalwart in that, in that centre-back position as well. And just a couple of facts on uh, his performance against Man City. He's got 14 clearances, three shots that he blocked, two aerial duels, uh, four interceptions, seven ground duels won and seven tackles as well. And I think that mo mostly I, I noticed him because of the clearances that he had. It was the fact yes. that he could actually clear it and he could actually find a man. He could find a Nathan Redmond or he could find a, a Stuart Armstrong as well. And it worked really well in, in Southampton's favour as well. And I just wanted to know, Salah, from your um, thoughts on Mohamed Salasu, if you have any, 
Um, is this the beginning of another talented Southampton player um, on their books that they could end up selling for a big profit? What do you think? Um, potentially, I was going to say I'm surprised it didn't go to the Afcon. Like it's been, you know, it's looked like quite a decent tournament so far, and it's you know been vibes if anything. So that's that's the first surprise I'd say. Definitely. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with Southampton. The model is sort of the selling club kind of model. No disrespect to them, but we we'll just have to. Um, yeah, we'll just have to see. I guess. Yeah, we just have to see how it goes because realistically speaking, as, as I'm looking at it now, uh, Mohamed Salisu, um, he could end up being another 40, 50 million pound player from um, Southampton to leave as well. And it's going to be good to see how um, how Southampton do for the rest of the season as well. I've, I've always liked Ralph Hassan, but it's just one of those things that I want to see more from the Southampton side because when you have such a good ma- uh, manager like that, um, the Austrians really take into South- Southampton and I know they've held a couple of nine ones in the past, but it'll be good to see how how further they do down the line as well and the rest of the season as well. Um, but yeah, that was kind of it regarding the uh, the Premier League. I did want to shout out the African Cup of Nations as well because we haven't really spoken about that much on the podcast. But like you said, Salim, it's been vibes recently and it's been good to see how um, the teams have been doing. Ghana got knocked out recently as well. Comoros, they had a fantastic tournament. They got knocked out yesterday at the time of speaking to um Cameroon was Cameroon I forgot who it was but basically they, they lost because their goalkeeper had COVID so the goalkeeper in their squad had COVID and their left back played in goal as well so it's the fact that they had um someone who's an outfield player playing for 90 minutes from the start as a goalkeeper in the African Cup of Nations and they didn't have a subkeeper then. They didn't have a subkeeper I think he had contracted COVID as well so he was he had to isolate so Literally, when you said it, when you said it was vibes, I'm like, it's, it's literally vibes to a next level. The African Cup of Nations. Yeah, I guess it is vibes. But I mean, this is a bit, this is something else. You wouldn't see that at your Sunday League team, would you, Salem? If your goalkeeper was out, you wouldn't put your left back in. Or would you go and go, Salem? Would you go? Would... Uh, actually, now we have, we have put our left back. Well, our backup striker, left back, is our backup keeper actually. Oh, mad. That's insane. That is. But no, Comoros did really well um, to hold it to a two-one or a three-one lead as well. So it's good to see how. How they ended up doing, which which is good for African Cup of Nations. I think Senegal won today, so they're through to the next round as well. Gambia are through, and later on today, at the time of recording, Morocco are going to be playing at seven o'clock um, today against Malawi. And again, Hakim Ziyech, he he doesn't get on with his coach at Morocco. Morocco are doing just fine without him, but Hakim Ziyech scored one of the most amazing goals I've seen yeah. from him um, this weekend in the Premier League against Tottenham. What do you think of that? Could you do that at football? Yeah, I'm sure I've done it before, but it was it was perfect. Like, you know, that's the kind of goal that, you know, you just, you have to admire, like, you know, the keeper just stood, like, stranded, just watching it as it, you know, just just flies past him and into the back of the net. But, you know, we, we have mentioned that he hasn't, you know, performed that well since joining. So it is actually quite nice to see him, you know, have a, have a good influence on the game and, um, you know, step up to as to why he was signed because he was a quality player before they brought him in. He's just not being able to really show it since he's been at the club. But, you know, fair play to him. I mean, he's got his problems with the coach, so he's not there at the moment. So he's probably missing, you know, he's going to be hurt there, he's missing out. But what better way to sort of respond than to perform for your club? Yeah, exactly. I'd like to see more from Hackens yet because I, I was speaking to a couple of my Chelsea friends, um, staff excluded, and, and they were basically just saying that, oh yeah, he'll be good for this game. Everyone will see that he's good on TV. And then the next couple of games that we'll see him, he'll just disappear like he always does. I'm like, I hope that doesn't happen for him. And we'd, we'd like to see more from Hackens yet because we've seen a lot of um, North African ballers come through 
and consistently play well in the Premier League and hope Hakim Ziyech is But maybe, maybe all it is that he just needs like a consistent run of games because he's sort of been in and out of the squad quite a lot yeah, since, um, you know, I mean, form, in. injuries, you know, there's, there's, there's more to it than just saying, oh, he'll play good one day and bad one day. I think... I think he needs, you know, a consistent run of maybe like, you know, five, ten games where he's, you know, starting and playing and and then we can, you know, truly judge it. I know he's not been the best player so far and, you know, we've you know, said that he's not really performed that well and, you know, he, he sort of goes on. But he, at the end of the day, they spent big money on him and if he's not going to work out, then maybe he does need to move. But it'd be nice to just see him given a proper chance in the team. You know, he, he might already, as far as I'm aware, I'm not too sure he's played even five games in a row in his Chelsea career. Maybe he has, maybe I'm wrong, but... Yeah, be, it's, like a, it's like a handful you can remember of Hakim Ziyech um, having some good games and some bad games as well, but um, I'd like to see more from him. I, I'm always one of those people that you, when, you want to see some good players in the Premier League play consistently as well. We've said this before about Werner, we've said it about Ziyech before as well. Um, it's a confidence thing, I think, but it'll be good to see how Hakim Ziyech does, especially in the Champions League. I think that's, that's more of his element. That's where we've seen him uh, previously play pretty well. For Ajax and for Chelsea as well, which will, which will be fun. Um, but yeah, one last thing um, before we move on to our main topic of today. Salim, Dusan Blahovic is, is going to Juventus. Do you know much about him? Because I've been researching him about him more this season than last season, but I think it's going to be a quality signing. I'm glad he didn't go to Arsenal as well. Um, what do you think about Dusan Blahovic, that football manager legend, FIFA career mode legend? Yeah, see, so he does ring a bell from football manager. I'm not too familiar with him. I can't say I've, you know, seen him play. Um, so he's sort of come into reckoning since the whole transfer news has started about him, you know, about Arsenal wanting him. I think it was in the summer where Arsenal wanted to sign him. Mm. But his agent said he didn't want to go to Arsenal, but Fiorentina were happy to accept the bid. I believe that's how it was. But the thing is, this has implications on us uh, from a Villa perspective because Juve need the money to free up uh, sorry, yeah, Juve need money to sort of pursue this transfer and we believe uh, Arthur, Arthur Mello is linked with Arsenal and on a loan and um, uh, Rodrigo Bentancur is linked with us. Imagine, uh, if, imagine if you had Bentancur, that would have been insane. Yeah, so the interesting thing is, you know, Bentancur is starter for Uruguay and for Juventus, but Juve need to cash in on, on one of the two if they were to pursue this deal. And it looks more likely that, you know, with a loan deal, they're not really going to make much funds. But with Bentanka, they're happy to accept a bid of around £20 million. So if we could pursue that for 20 mil, you know, Champions League player starts for Uruguay as well. It'd be a great signing for us. And on top of that, the, the other thing with um, sort of the Bentanka deal is that Man City were linked with him last season and... Um, so Juventus rejected a bid of 50 million saying he's, you know, indispensable and not for sale. So, you know, it'd be a massive coup if we could pull this off. And if there's anyone that can do it, it's sort of our recruitment team and, you know, our CEO, Christian Perslow, who have been comprehensive in research and they've been able to put forward good cases in order to sign players so far. And it's worked really well for you as well. It's like some of these things, it looks so obvious to fans that there are some players that are cut out for the Premier League and there are some players that you can obviously look at replacing um, in your own existing team. And it's just when you have like proper people like Christian Perslow in charge of these kind of transfer um, decisions making, it makes it so much easier as a club to follow that because you know that a lot of them have done their research. They've got the right um, scouting people out there and they've done the uh, performance analysis on these players as well. And I think that's such a big thing going forward as well because it can't be 
buying by committee or buying by mark buying for marketing reasons. It doesn't work like that in football anymore. And we've seen the likes of um, uh, Pochettino once saying that Daddy Ali would, would be worth 80, 90 million pounds in three, four years' time. And it's now three, four years' time and he can't get a game for Tottenham. And he, he can't even be sold by anyone as well. So it just goes to show that it's all down to um, the proper research and, and the recruitment stages as well. But um, again, not to throw shade at Deli Ali. I, I know I'm not. not uh, I know as, I'm not his biggest fan. But again, the last time um, we're going to see Deli Ali in, in the Spurs shirt, will it be at the end of January, or do you reckon he'll still he'll still be there for the rest of the season? Because I think he should just go for his own good. It'd be good to see him go um, somewhere else to play football. What do you think, Sally? Yeah, I mean with with. Delhi has been quite sort of unlucky. Um, no, I don't know if it's unlucky actually, but you know, he, he was a quality player. But if you think like that goal they brought about against Palace Wolves that five, six years ago now, but yeah, six it, years ago, crazy. You know, he was a starter in our World Cup team and um, he's just sort of declined since then. And it's sad to see a player that was so highly regarded as being, you know, a hundred million pounds, 80 million pounds sort of level player. I'm sure Real Madrid. And a lot of other big clubs were after him too. And, you know, he's just fallen off. I think ever since he fell out with um, with Jose, was it? was it? It was under Jose that he sort of got benched. And yeah. he just like, looked good for him at all. Like, he was, you know, probably the second name on the Spurs team sheet. At one point, they were, you know, pushing Ericsson a bit to the left just to accommodate for him in that central role. So, yeah, it's, it's sad to see. Um, you know, we were linked with him when he was at MK Dons and um, obviously Spurs got him. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've stayed at the MK Don Stadium, it's a double tree Hilton and they've got uh, Delhi Alley sort of posters and murals and stuff all over the ground because it just shows the importance that he is to that club. Definitely. But yeah, it's sad to see, I, you know, I think maybe he needs to, you know, move to another club and sort of restart his career. I, I still think there's definitely a player in there. And um, I'm sure if he can move club and, you know, get his head down and train hard, he can, you know, get back to at least near the levels that he was hitting before. Yeah, I agree. And it's someone that um, you want to see do well as well. Again, I'm not his biggest fan, but it's just the fact that he can do so well and he can actually light up stadiums with, with the genius that he has in him. And there is a genius in him. The, the goals that he scored, the assists that he's done previously, um, his link-up play with Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen, like you mentioned previously as well. There's so much to him that he can give um, the Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga as well. And I think personally, it's one of those that it's one of those things down to mentality because you're looking at it thinking it can't just be Nuno, it can't just be Mourinho, it can't just be Conte. It has to be down to the player at the end of the day. And if he's ready to move abroad, or if he's ready to move on to a different club and try a fresh start with a new approach to football and um, have a new lease of life elsewhere, I think that would be pretty good for him. But because realistically speaking, it's just about who can really afford his wages because he got that um, extended contracts. Um, around 2018, 2019, I believe, which kept him at the club. And that's something we want to see more of in terms of Deli Ali playing football, but not just for uh, for money reasons, but for actually giving us entertainment that we need as well, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the Premier League roundup. I mean, we could talk about Claudio Ranieri getting sacked, but that was inevitable, inevitable to be fair, from Watford. It's the second second they've had this season as well. And um, hopefully Ranieri does well in the next I mean, part of his career. Oh, in there about the the, the game itself, uh, Norwich. I thought they played really well. I think Dean Smith has turned them around. Uh, I don't know if you saw the game. There was like 15 minutes added time because of the floodlight issue. Mm. There's a lot of issues this weekend as well. There's that drone at Brentford. There's the floodlight issue as well. It's odd something. It's a very odd weekend. I'm sure it was that game wasn't it? Norwich Watford. Was yeah, it, the was one on Friday. 
Friday, yeah. yeah. That, that was it. Uh, what, what for Norwich, sorry. Yeah, so happy for them. You know, and that's without Todd Cantwell as well. Somebody that people were saying that he was like their best player. Mm. So, so yeah, so that's, that's that. I think another thing I just put out that uh, Emmy Martinez has signed, you know, a five and a half year extension, sort of new deal. So that shows his commitment to the club, saying he wants to play Champions League football at the club. And I think this is probably the longest contract we've ever given a footballer. Really? Uh, yeah, it's the longest contract we've ever given. Because I remember West Ham used to give out six-year deals and stuff, but we'd, we'd always shy around that. would be about four, but it just shows we've locked him in. I believe McGinn is next uh, to get locked in. And yeah, just in terms of Emmy though, there's no release clause on there as well. So it just shows where the club's going. I wouldn't say we're a selling club in terms of what happened in the summer, because if anything, we've ended up better, you know, yeah. considering the situation. But yeah, that, that was it really. No, that's good to hear as well, because I'd like to see more people committed to their cause as well. We don't get many more Mark Noble type players anymore uh, in the Premier League that are one club men or just two, three club men because they moved to a bigger club and they'll stick to it as well. Um, realistically speaking, no, Emi Martinez, if he wants to get Champions League football, he's good enough to play Champions League football. I've said this previously, I think he's a very good goalkeeper. Don't particularly like him, um, but I'm not supposed to like him because that's not been a goalkeeper and a former Arsenal keeper as well. But Realistically speaking, Salim, I think you've got a gem on your hands by keeping Emmy Martinez because it gives you that peace of mind as well in terms of how you don't have to worry about signing another keeper for another three, four years. And uh, Martinez is only improving from what we've seen of him in the Premier League as well, which will be great to see. And Stephen Gerrard mentioned recently about how John McGinney, he loves him as a human being. He loves the player. He doesn't want him to go anywhere anytime soon. And he'd be very reluctant to sell him to a Man United type team who are interested in the midfielder of John McGinn's calibre and, and his work rate as well. Yeah. Which would be, be pretty good to see um, how it goes going forward as well. But no, uh, um, Aston Villa looking quite promising, unfortunately, for, for me. But fortunately for you, they're looking uh, quite promising as well. One thing before we move on to our next topic, Salim, is how was your game this weekend at Inter Batley? Were you playing this weekend? Yeah, I played. It was a cup game. Uh, we won 2-0. Um, yeah, we, it was a decent game. Uh, we should have played a lot better, I think. But yeah, we're into the next round, which is the quarterfinal of the Andy Mann's Club Cup. Good uh, in, in the quarterfinal, have, have unpaid fines. So they're banned from playing at the moment. So if that still is the case when the game comes in, we'll get a buy into the semis. So Just yeah. don't, let them, don't let them pay the fine, Salim. I need to see you in the semi-final. I need to see semi-final, Salim. Needs semi-final. To don't yeah. let the payment go through. Just block yeah, the payment. I've been looking at the sort of the there's a Facebook group that has this whole like Calder Valley Sunday League on it, mm. and um, you see the convos between like the admins of that club and like the admin of the whole group, and it's just so funny to read. <laughs> so yeah, by the looks of the group, it, it doesn't look like they'll be paying the fine anytime soon. But you know that could change uh, when the semi final comes around. Yeah, just don't let them pay the fine. Whoever whoever needs to pay the fine, just don't pay the fine. Spend it on the night out or something. Get Salem in the semi final. Um, yeah, thanks for that little chat about um, the Premier League and just general chit chat before we move on to our next topic. Um, Adder's joined us as well, so Adder, thanks for joining the podcast. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Good, thank you. Are you still? Yeah, I'm all good. I'm all good. It's, it's a good, uh, good time to bring you on because uh, Salim and Adil, it's, it's it's unpopular opinions time now, so this is quite <laughs> fun. We've not done this on the podcast before, but uh, our social media following on Instagram, they a lot of people very kindly. Uh, gave us suggestions of what to discuss on this week's podcast because it's an international break. This is when we kind of do our little Q&As or, or little things where we can break off a bit as well. Um, so Salem, let me start with you. 
Um, there's a, there's someone here who said um, England's golden generation were overrated. What would you say? Agree or disagree? Disagree. I think the problem was the manager. I think I think the, the players were rated because they'd, they'd won trophies, you know, Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues and stuff like that. So, mm. no, it's, it's not the players. It's the manager's fault, that one. Tactical. Managers and the tactics. That's true. Adam, we've spoken about this before many times before. I think you're in the same uh, school of thought as Salah in it, just the manager. Yeah. I think these are now overrated. <laughs> the ones Even though happen. they've got to a semi-final and a final, I think they're still up. They're just it's just they had it a lot easier than the 2006, the golden generation. Yeah, Portugal twice you, they had. If you think about it, they had Brazil 2002. Then they had Portugal twice. Mm. Didn't qualify for Euro 2008, though. Yeah. Weren't great, that, were they? Because of the Wally with the Broly. Wally with the Broly. Steve McLaren playing David Bentley instead of David Beckham. Mm, yeah. He chose the wrong DB7 to choose from. Um, but <laughs> no, I, I agree with, with the both of you as well. I think they, they weren't overrated. They were rated properly. It's just there were better teams out there as well. The likes of yeah. Italy, the likes of France, the likes of Brazil as well. Like we mentioned, Portugal were very good. Germany, of course, were coming into it. Um, they were they were great, the, the England golden generation, but hopefully we get another golden generation uh, coming up soon. Adam, let's go for you on this one. Um, big six, get all the decisions. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Why do you disagree with that? Because there's only one that gets all the decisions at the minute. What, Liverpool? Yeah. My God, Liverpool get everything. Ridiculous. It's quite funny, it's, though. How, how, all they, he has to do how they... they? All he has to do is moan a bit and then he gets everything his way. Yeah, if like Arteta were to do that or Conte were to do that, um, they'd be getting away with it. Salem, Solskjaer, you... Nobody used to listen to him. Solskjaer was just that like guy that no one respected as a manager, so no yeah. one cared about him in the FA. It wasn't Jurgen Klopp. Salim, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Big Six get all the decisions. Uh, agree. You <laughs> would agree. Why do you agree, Salim? And don't mention Man United in this for too much. No, I think it's quite blatant. Some oh, of the, like, decisions. Like, if you look at the, the one on Jota that day, the, the, the Liverpool one, mm. where he runs into the keeper and he gets the penalty. And then I could show you like a hundred times where this has happened to us and where the, the keeper's actually fouled the striker and there's never been like a check. Yeah. They, they don't do as, much, as many consistent checks with VAR as well because that happened recently as well when um, uh, Ryan Fraser got tackled by Edison. The ball was nowhere near uh, yeah, Ryan yeah, Fraser like and that. just sliced him out. And the VAR decision was like, oh, but he wasn't in contact with the play. I'm like, that makes no sense. It was, it, uh, that makes no sense. It was assault. It was assault <laughs> by Edison, literally. And he got away yeah. with it. It's like when you're playing FIFA and you're just spamming the square button on Ultimate Team and then, like, the, the internet lags for a second. It just swipes them out. Um, but, no, annoyingly, uh, Adil, I agree with Salim on this one. I think the big six do get a lot of big, uh, a lot of key decisions. There isn't a lot of consistency in this game at the moment in, in England as well. Um, it's just the fact that when you see it, it's like one rule for, for some, one rule for another. Um, Liverpool, Man City do get a lot of decisions. Man United do get a lot of decisions. They do get a lot against them, to be fair. Um, yeah. Chelsea do get a lot of decisions, but they get a lot of against them as well, to be fair, as well. Spurs, I don't consider them top six anymore. Um, and Arsenal, they're, they're by the by as well. Like, one week, some good will happen, one week, some bad will happen as well, which won't be as great. Um, Salem, this won't really apply to us. So I'll let Adel answer this one first. Uh, someone said football is not as good as the 90s um, agree or disagree because you're the elder one of all of us <laughs> disagree disagree why do you disagree 
it's a lot more entertaining these days. Really? Yeah, more teams are in it. Like if you look at the Premier League, in the 90s, it was Man United, Arsenal, that's it. Now it's just Man City. Yeah, but... It hasn't, all, it hasn't improved. But it's <laughs> Man City winning the league in January. No, how I mean is you could play any other team and you'd know you'd beat them. These days, you don't know who's going to beat who. That's true. There's no Especially routine the wins for a, lot yeah. of, for a lot of teams. It's like Aston Villa beating Man United, isn't it, Salah? Mm. Adel was at that, that game as well, by the way. So Adel was watching Emmy Martinez celebrate in front of yeah, him. Yeah, no. Was, I was on the was, side. I was, no, I, I was just going to add to the point there where, like, I think it's, it's a bit strange because you could say, like, with the money in football now, like, every team in the Prem has got, like, a £50 million player pretty much. Yes. Or, you know, at least, like, £30 million player, which probably was unheard of before. But I'd probably say, like, the Championship's probably a more fun league to watch, whereas anybody can beat anybody. I think that does happen in the Prem, but... I think it's a bit more like random in the championship where, you know, like Derby could beat the team that's placed first. Something like that could happen. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think a lot of things have changed in football since the 90s. Not that I've watched in the 90s, but stuff like even like footballers diets and this whole like more towards fitness orientated kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's probably better for you to answer than me, but that's what I think. Yeah, I can't really answer as well because, again, I wasn't around in the 90s watching football. But, um, yeah, um, realistically speaking, there's probably more characters in the 90s, I would say, than than there are now. So you could have, like, the people like Gascoigne and um, Batistuta and Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, coming through as well. Uh, you're just there kind of thinking a lot of these players kind of play similarly um, in the way that they play. It's quite good to see how they are. But nowadays if you're not putting up the stats um you're not really considered a, a good enough player anymore like with the likes of Meza Ozil he was a dying thoroughbred of an attacking midfielder and the likes of like Madison Mount um Grealish coming through putting up the numbers when Ozil wasn't really doing that whilst not doing the hard work kind of shows think, us that's how football has evolved in a way other leagues around Europe as well they've become a lot more entertaining than they were back then like Spain Italy Italy was Probably the most entertaining league in the nineties compared mm. to all the others. Yeah, they had the players there. Everyone wanted to yeah, play in Italy. At that time, that's what Italian football was, you know, Serie A was the best. Mm. That dominance of AC Milan, you had the Juventus team of Zidane yeah. in it as well. There's a lot to go through in that. Roma, in Lazio. Yeah, Lazio as well. Crazy. Fiorentina with Batis Juice as well. Crazy yeah. talent that they had. Um but yeah, that was a good that was a good suggestion by by someone that we've had it on as well, which is great. Uh, Salim, Pep's the greatest Premier League manager of all time. Agree or disagree? Mm, don't know. I just I disagree. I can't can't say. Can't say. Why can't you say? Is it too early to say it? Partially, I'd say like you know he is world class. I rate him highly. Uh, considering what he's done, everyone says you know he needs money to do things, and he admits that himself. But the sort of brand of football he's brought, you know, you know wherever he goes is is there, up there. But then there's a whole argument where, you know, he couldn't win a Champions League with Bayern Munich with all the talent he had. He could win that league easy, but somebody like you know Jose Mourinho won it with Porto, and he's it's like that, you know. So I can't can't say you know can't, honestly can't say. No, that's fair no. enough. I don't agree or disagree. I kind of know your answer, but what are you going to say? What's your, what do you think my answer is? You're going to say disagree. I know you're going to say yeah, disagree. I disagree. You're going to say Jurgen Klopp's the greatest manager in the Premier League history. 
no. No nah. chance. Yeah, it's, it's odd that, because um, I'll, I'll disagree as well, but Salim and I were speaking to um, Scott, who's a Rangers fan a couple of months ago, and we were talking about how no English manager has ever won the Premier League and how a lot of foreign uh, managers come in and win the Premier League, and a lot of Scotsmen have won the Premier League as well. Yeah. So, Sirax Ferguson, I would say, is the greatest manager in the Premier League history so far. But I think Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, if they stay at Manchester City and Liverpool respectively, they can definitely I, challenge that. I don't... I don't. I, it would take a lot for them to stay and then compete and rival Sirax Ferguson. It's like... Yeah, but if there's any two managers in the league that can do it, I think it would be those two. They can, Liverpool. but do you honestly see them like, staying for that long? I don't think so. Unless they get fed up of football, I don't see what, who where else Pep, they can go. I think Pep's gonna go after a year or two. I'd you'd hope, give him, you'd hope, you'd hope I'd so. give him a year, another two years maybe, and then I think he will say that's enough. Because mm. then, it, who did Man City get after Pep? That's the thing. Who can they oh, go Ted. for? <laughs> Bring Arteta in. They go for Ten Hag, you know. If they don't get Ten Hag, I don't know. I don't know who they go. Maybe Pochettino. Depends where Pochettino goes. He moves yeah. anywhere. Imagine if he goes to Man United, that'd be quite that'd be quite funny. If he goes to United, then City will go for someone like Ten Hag or something like that. Mm. Good dude. But I think I think they have to build like a din- dynasty, you know, where one team gets knocked down, he builds another one, then that gets knocked down, he builds another one or wins everything. This moves on forward, really, I would say. And they haven't won the treble. I don't sound like an Arsenal fan, but they haven't won the treble. Well, they've won the treble and have they been invincible the whole season as well? Yeah, exactly. That's true, that's true. Oh, speaking of invincibility, Salim, this one's for you. Yeah. Sergio Aguero is, is the greatest Premier League striker um, from foreign grounds. I think, I think you meant like the best foreign striker of all time. What would you say, agree or disagree? I mean, obviously there's the argument there with Henri and a few of the strikers, but... Henri, Suarez... Uh, actually, quite, actually quite like Aguero, to be honest. Mm. That's what I said, this one's for you. I know, I know you'll back his case, but would you, would you go that far and say he's the greatest foreign Premier League striker? I think he's got the best strike rate. Yeah, he does. He does in history, in Premier League history. I feel like if his injuries, because he did play injured quite a lot, um, mm. if he didn't have that, but yeah, I'll, I'll give it to him just because of that winner against QPR. You know, keeping that nerve to score a goal like that at a time like that, you know, unthinkable, really. Uh, I'm gonna have to disagree with this one. I think it's more. I'm. I'm more. Tier on Re's side than Sergio Aguero's side personally. Aguero is one of the most amazing strikers we've ever seen in the Premier League. Unfortunately, he had to retire the way that he did this season as well at Barcelona. He tormented literally every single team in the Premier League, most of the teams in Europe that he played against as well. He it objectively speaking, I think you can all kind of agree it was it was wrong that he didn't get to win a Champions League. I'm glad that he didn't though for Manchester City reasons as well. Um but I think I still think Thierry Henry with the teams that he had when he was uh, going through it as well. I think he was he was stardust Thierry Henry. I think it was someone that I think is still the greatest Premier League striker uh, from from foreign grounds, as this person said, or the most the, the greatest foreign striker the world has, uh, the Premier League has ever seen. I would say I think it's it's him, Dennis Aguero. Then you're looking at likes of Suarez or Drogba, Cantona even as well. Um, but yeah, I'll disagree with that. But Aguero is definitely second on the list. What are you saying, Adel? I said you forget Ruud van Nistro from that list. Would you put Ruud van Nistro in that top three, that top five? I know he's a goal scorer, but what, what would you say? 
I would. You would. He's, know, he's definitely in, in the top 10. Definitely in the top 10. Definitely in the conversation for top five. But top but three. But then you could, you could include other Man United strikers in there as well. Mm. Like we've had quite a few. Carlos Tevez. Yeah. We love <laughs> Carlos Tevez on this podcast. Now, he, was, what, he, he didn't have as big as impact as, say, Van Nistelrooy or Andy Cole, Dwight York. What would you say, though? Aguero, um, greatest Premier League striker uh, from foreign grounds. Agree or disagree? No, I disagree. Disagree with that? Yeah. Who would you go for, then? Who's number one? From foreign grounds? From, from, from yeah. I'm not, I don't like how this guy has put foreign grounds. He's the best Premier League foreign striker, let's just put it that way. Probably go for Henri as well. Yeah, it might be a generational thing, to be fair. Um, Adam, you're next. You're next on this as well. Uh, independent panel should do VAR. What? There should be an independent panel that does VAR instead of changing uh, referees every week. Who's on VAR? Well, you can't really have an independent panel of referees. I think what this person trying it's to say like- is like it should be like it should be like the same people doing VAR. Uh, all the time, Salim. What do you have to say about that? Independent yeah, but panel they, they, they have they have. It's like in the other league, Serie A. The referees do it there. Yeah, but they're, com- they're competent. I, I just, I just don't think. I just don't think it's like sort of impartial enough. Where like all the refs, obviously, you know, I wouldn't like group. And there's been talk from other places as well that I think Keith Hackett was telling us as well that mm. VAR should not be run by you know the Premier League referees. It should be sort of an external, you know sort of group of individuals that sort of take care of VAR, you know, obviously with the understanding of the game and stuff like that, because at the moment, you know, with the referees doing it, one week they're refereeing and, you know, one week the VARing. So like, it's the whole clear and obvious thing that comes into it as well. But yeah, it's like how Keith actually did sort of agree with us. Uh, no, Keith actually mentioned it himself saying, you know, VAR needs to be improved. I, I, personally, I think that there is, I think VAR, is you know the tool VAR itself is a massive pro. However, it's just the way it's been operated and the way it's been used is just wrong. That's that's my view on it anyway. I think there's so much more the English league could do to improve VAR because of the standards of, of who's behind the screen. That's how I see it personally. I think that's what Keith said last time we were having we were having a conversation with him as well, Salem. The fact yes. that. Um, even Ada just said that even in foreign countries even in World Cups even in Euros when, when we're at them nine times out of ten maybe 99% out of 100 they're getting everything right and they're doing it perfectly and they've probably given themselves the extra 10-15 seconds to go to the monitor checking it for themselves uh, agreeing or disagreeing as well which, which yeah. would be cool I think what it is is in this country they give too much of the impetus to the VARF when it mm. should be the refs that should be controlling it it's just, I think, um, I think in that conversation, you know, when you've got a referee who's more of a lenient ref and then he's at VAR for one week, but then when you see him on the pitch and then that referee behind um, the screen is then more of a strict ref. So he wouldn't let play go in that situation or he yeah. doesn't think it's a foul. I think that's kind of what this conversation is more about. The fact that it's always a different person behind the screen, given a different decision and a different point of view to, to VAR and to the decisions as well. Because if you're looking back at that, um, replay of uh, Thiago Silva getting pushed by Harry Kane. When you're looking back at it at like slow motion, you've got like the push from Kane and then yeah. Thiago Silva's got his arms out all exaggerated. Oh, I got fouled. 
But when you're watching it in real time, it's a little nudge and uh, Silver's exaggerating it just to fall over and win a foul using the experience to con the it's referee. Like the doctor penalty as well on Sunday. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? The, the <laughs> Liverpool, it was crazy that as well. Um, but no, we've got one more one and then uh, we'll wrap up the podcast as well, which will be fun. I've um, got one to add to. Go on, throw in one. We'll, we'll, finish, we'll finish with your one, Salah. Actually, I've got two to put. So one, I'd say unpopular opinion, but Dean Smith got more out of Jack than Pep, than Pep will. And that's because obviously Pep being the system kind of player has taken away all of Jack's qualities. But we've mentioned that loads of times. But the main one I was going to say is that Southgate is overrated. Oh, we've discussed this loads of times as well. And I think we will agree that he is yeah. overrated. He's a, he's a family man, though, isn't he? He's someone that the FA has put in as a PR merchant for like the interviews and for the media. He's a bit like, a bit like social. Puts his arm around the players, talks to them like, you know, little kids or yeah. best friends, school teacher kind of thing. He, he does all the right things. He ticks all the right boxes. It's just not really on the pitch as a manager. Yeah. His tactics aren't what a top manager's tactic should be. With the talent that we have in, in the England in the England squad, even the players that we don't have, hmm. they should be blitzing people, but they're not. And I, I feel like we could we could get someone better, but there's always that double-edged sword, isn't it, Sad? Like you could always get a manager like Capello, who's a tactical genius, who's won things, who's done things in the game, but can't relate to these players for the two weeks that you've got qualifiers or you've got the World Cup for a four-week period. That's, I think, what, what they did right with Southgate, but they haven't done it 100% right. What do you think, Salem? Yeah, agreed. agreed, to be honest. I was going to say, like, you know, mentioned this. I was going to say, what was your, uh, the final opinion that you're going to drop? Uh, uh, the final one that we had was English players should benefit uh, more from playing abroad and from learning different cultures. So the likes of Abraham, Tomori, Jaden Sancho, previously Jude Bellingham, they should leave their clubs uh, from being like bench warmers in the Premier League, look to play elsewhere. Adamola Lukman was another one as well. Um, I'll start with this one because I think you both know that I'm a big advocate of English players playing abroad because I quite enjoy the fact that you can watch um, the likes of uh, Tammy Abraham scoring like 15, 20 goals for Roma and the Jose Mourinho. Things are 12 and 12, right? Yeah, yeah. it's done really well for them. It's been great to see that he scored more than any other Englishman in, in the league so far this, uh, this season as well. So the fact that um, Gareth Southgate doesn't really appreciate players playing abroad, I think he should really do that a bit more in terms of the fact that everyone comes to England to hone their skills. Why can't they go to Germany and learn the, uh, to play in a German way or to play in a, a Spanish way in La Liga or to just to, uh, learn different ways of playing, really? Because I think it's only beneficial for them instead of being in a Premier League environment all the time and getting hacked all the time and, and actually playing some football, having a bit more space to play and learning from different uh, managers and coaches across Europe. I definitely would support this if more people were doing it. And I think it's, it's quite good that more players are doing that than ever from England, going abroad to play. Not even at the top league, but in like Division 2s and 3s in different countries as well. Going to the USA, going to um, Australia, stuff like that. It's quite good to see. Salim, what would you say? Agree or disagree to that? Yeah, agree. I think um, players have been quite reluctant to go and the ones that have gone, it's been quite rewarding for them. And, you know, the comeback, the ones that have come back, you know, it's looked, you know, decent as well. But, yeah, I think if players like Tammy, you know, he got out, a lot of people questioned the move, but, you know, it worked out really well for him. Uh, Sancho was another one that went from Man City. You know, you'd have thought he was ready in that system and he would have just stayed, but, you know, he took the move and ended up 
coming back for 80 million or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'd say like there's a lot of opportunity out there, especially in the Bundesliga um, amongst other leagues. And it'd be nice to see more of our sort of young talent that aren't really playing to, you know, get out there and start games. Trying to think who else is sort of next in that conveyor belt. I think Maitland-Niles was another one to go. Yeah, he went so to Roma he, as well. On he was quite a decent player before he sort of got dropped and then never played again kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think Reese Nelson was another one, Arsenal one that was out there, but he's not really playing at the moment, I don't think. No, he got loaned yeah. out, I think, for Arsenal. Again. Well, so I think he's at final now, so I think he's still getting oh, game time. Because I think he came back in the summer and then I think he got sent out again or something, maybe. But yeah, yeah, that, that must be right. Because I think Arsenal were looking to sort of play him when he came back and then I guess he just didn't work out. But no, if especially if you're a player, like, I don't know, if you're going to be loaned out every year for five, six years, then, you know, you sort of have to sort of draw the line somewhere. Mm. I'd agree with that as well. And there's that new uh, loan rule coming in from next season, I think, yeah. where only eight players can be loaned out from a club. So Chelsea yeah. and Man City and Man United are going to be quite quite, um, quite worried about that because they, they can't have them all in the reserves, all of these players that they have. And some of them, they're like 23, 24 as well. So they need to get game time or they need to be sold, which will be the case. Um, Adam, what would you say? Agree or disagree? More English players should play abroad and learn from different I'd agree countries. with it. I think the best, best example of the, the players are in Italy, Vicario um, Tomori. Mm. AC Milan he wasn't really getting much game time at Chelsea yeah Lampard didn't fancy him um, yeah. I think no Lampard him. Lampard put him in and then he took him out yeah he played uh, Thiago Silva and Zuma as the first first centre-back yeah. so yeah. behind behind them was Christensen and Rudiger then Tomori at fifth choice centre-back yeah. and I think it's the move he made to AC Milan because like, he's become an England regular now he gets called up to all the squads I think he has been for the last, what, three squads? Four squads? Last two squads. But he hasn't been playing much, to be fair. Yeah. But that's because that's he's got some defenders ahead of him in the England set. But still, I think he's he's a first-choice centre-back for AC Milan, which says quite a lot. I've got, I've got one for both of you. Would, you. would you think John Stone should move to Spain to play for Barcelona and be their centre-back if he's not getting game time at Man City? Or, or Real Madrid, for example? I think it would be no. very good to see him in Spain. I don't think it would suit Real Madrid. It wouldn't suit Real Madrid, but I think it would do it'd Maybe do really Barcelona well. or PK's. one of the others. Yeah, Barcelona, Atletico, maybe. Even Kieran Trippier came back. No, not, not, not Atletico. I don't think he's the type of defender that Simeone has in the team. I'd like to see Stones abroad. I think it'd be good to see him play. Salim, what do you think? If you had to pick one player from the England side to play abroad, who would it be? Um... For me, it probably would be Kane. Kane at Real Madrid, maybe. Yeah, Kane at Real Madrid. That'd be vibes. Because I, I was really, I was really happy when um, Gareth Bale went to Real Madrid as well from Spurs. It's like you want to see them on the world stage a bit more, and in the Champions League, and they're actually doing their thing, which was the best thing as well, which was great. Uh, go on, Adam. Finish off one player from the England team that you like to see play abroad. I think Saka Jack at Dortmund. Grealish. Jack Grealish, you know. Yeah. Where would he fit in? By Somewhere in Spain. In Spain? Yeah. Real Madrid, maybe? What do you do at Real Madrid? You've got Vinicius there, you've got Asensio there, Cruz. Barcelona? I think Barcelona. Barcelona, but then he'd be another Coutinho. You wouldn't want that. No, I don't think he would. He'd play as a false nine. He'd play as a false nine with the pile. he play as a false nine, that's the problem. Yeah, he's better as a left winger, I think, or, or as the a left. second midfielder. 
left coming in. Who do they have now, Barcelona on the left? They play that. Uh, I don't know if they're playing that on the left. They had um, Luke de Jong, they had Depay. I think it was still Depay because Luke de Jong's playing a bit more as well. And then they have that Gavi guy as well who's playing centre mid. Yeah, I think Grealish would suit that that system. Yeah, it'd be good to see. Hopefully we get to see more of them. But we talk about this all the time. It's something I think our listeners know that we talk about English players playing abroad as well, which is good. Um, but no, just to wrap it up there, we've got um, one little topic of conversations before we wrap it up. I just wanted to talk to you both about um, how both of you kind of deal with confidence when exercising as well. Because it's something that I've, I've quite... Um, been passionate about learning about whilst I've been off from university and you know how people get back into exercising and they don't feel confident about themselves and um, it kind of plays with their mental health as well Salam's a regular um, footballer Adil I know you go swimming quite a lot as well and you do a mountain backhand as well for the both of you if you had to let one of our listeners know just one thing um, that helps with your confidence when you're exercising what would it be Adil you can start us off just block everything out just focus on yourself Mm. don't forget what everyone else is doing just just think about what you're doing and how you're doing it and just train your mind to everything you do just ignore everything else that goes on around you fantastic that's, that's straightforward that way. that's what we needed to hear Salim what about you from playing football on a regular basis if you could help well, one I'd, person yeah I'd say like confidence is a big thing especially in football like for me as well I'd say um, it's a lot when you're confident and everything's working it just makes things a lot easier Definitely. I think one of the important things I think this is something that was mentioned that footballers like prim footballers use as well like you know top quality footballers is that you have to just sort of um, if you do make mistakes in the game you know they're inevitable you just have to forget and move on you can't let it sort of affect you I mean mm. you need to obviously build up that mental resilience but it's sort of knowing that you're trying the right things and you know everyone's going to make mistakes at the end of the day we're all sort of human but yeah, I think it was called box and bin or something. They used to call it. Like you think that you put that mistake in a box and you just put it straight in the bin kind of thing. So yeah, that's that. What, what I'd use is you know mistakes will happen in the game and you know not just yourself, your team, opposition, and it's just sort of how you best improvise and deal with it. And just remember that the next time you need to do it better. And and if you don't, then you know it means there's an area for you to train on. So you know you've spotted something that you can develop further, and you know you just need to work on it and then come back and then try again. Yeah, definitely. Both great pieces of advice and uh, both things to learn from as well for anyone listening. And even for me, just to add to that as well, because I've had that time off from university and not really been playing football or exercise as much. So when I was getting back into it over the last two weeks, it's been pretty good for me. Just kind of accepting that I am imperfect and there's going to be a lot of times and I'll be doubting myself. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of, um, for me, that's kind of work for me is the fact that um, no one's going to be more of a worse enemy to yourself than you you know how your standards are, you know how great you can be, you know how fantastic you can be, but you also know how sluggish you can be. So you have to decide which one of that version are you going to be when you're exercising, if you're going to be exercising, or if you're going to choose not to exercise as well. And for me, who's going back, getting back into football, into football training as well, um, back into, I'm going, to, I'm going to look to start a new martial art this year as well. Um, inshallah, I can start with kickboxing, which will be great and get back into basketball in the summer as well. But I know for a fact that the fitness will all start from uh, from me. If I don't get out of the house and exercise, I'm not going to be in the best physical condition I can be as well. And that kind of links to um, uh, a Japanese term I've heard called wabi-sabi. It's a, it's a term of imperfection. So it's basically the fact that there's always going to be an imperfect, imper- impermanent and incomplete nature. But that's the, that's the whole point of appreciating yourself and appreciating the beauty in, in yourself as well. 
because it happens in all forms of life. There's always imperfection in what you're looking for as well. Um, but yeah, that's a nice little way to end the podcast. Salem, thanks for being on the podcast. Ada, thanks for being on the podcast. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. We're done for this week as well. Enjoy your week ahead. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>